Okay, well, good morning and welcome to you all. I'll just introduce myself. So my name is Ashley. I live in Redfield with my wife, Jess, and our son, Evan. Now, Jess and I moved from London two years ago. So we've been in Bristol for two years, and we've been at this church for the entire time. Also over the past two years, I've had the privilege of being involved in our local athletics club as a coach. And recently, I came across a a, a statement or a a meme that really resonated with me as a coach. And uh, this was the statement. It says this. We win medals in the winter. We collect medals in the summer. And uh, the reason why that resonated with me was because it underlied a truth that I've found in sport and in other areas of life. That is that oftentimes the level of performance that we achieve or attain is in large part determined by the training and preparation that we put in beforehand. So every athlete that I work with has goals. They have goals, they have targets. There are things that I expect them to be able to do over the course of time. And in a similar way, if we look at the Bible, we'll see that there are some things that the church is expected to be able to do. Now, let's get this right. Christianity primarily is not about what we do, but it's about what Jesus does. Nonetheless, it is clear from the Bible that there are expectations on us. So Christians are to be praying people. A wise man once said that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And I think what he meant by that was that prayer is the primary or the main way that we demonstrate our trust in Jesus. So it's clear that prayer is important, it's significant. And it's clear to me that we can all improve in this area. So no one here is the finished article. No one here is the perfect prayer. We've all got room for improvement. So I believe that prayer is something that we as a church can get better at and should aspire to get better at as well. And today we're going to be helped by some words from a man named Paul. Now Paul was, uh, he was around a few thousand years ago, the time of Jesus. He helped to start some of the very first churches Paul would often write letters to those churches. And today we're going to look at just a few words from him, which hopefully will provide for us a strong foundation to develop in this area of prayer. So in a few moments, uh, the the passage will appear up there somewhere. So it will be Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 that we'll be looking at. But before we dive in, I will pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so, so much for our time together today. We thank you for the privilege of being able to express our gratitude to you. We thank you for the gift of your Son to us. We thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us in the dark, but you've given us your word that we might know you. And Lord, I pray today that you would help me to speak with clarity and with confidence, and that you would help all of us to have open hearts to hear what you might have to say to us. Amen. Okay, so Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. 
say this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, so Paul reminds these people in the church in Colossae that they have been raised with Christ. But what does that mean? And why is it important? Well, I think we'd be aided in our understanding by thinking for a while about baptism. Now, baptism is something that we often do in this church. And what will tend to happen is a person, or more commonly, a number of people, will come up to the front and they will tell us the story of how they became a Christian. They will talk about significant, uh, I suppose, milestones on the way to them getting to the place where they put their trust in Jesus as their king and their rescuer. And then usually somewhere kind of here-ish, there's a pool of water, and that person will go into the pool of water. They'll have someone on their left, someone on their right. They'll be lowered down into the water, symbolizing spiritual death. They'd often remain there for a second, maybe two, and then they'd be lifted back up again, symbolizing new spiritual life with Jesus. Now, that whole ceremony of baptism is a public affirmation that that person or those people have a brand new identity. And we often pick this up in a story that they tell. They'll say, I was living life, going in a certain direction, certain things that my life was about, then I met Jesus, and something changed. After meeting Jesus, I was an entirely new person. And I'll say that often other, other people recognize that as well. They'll notice some changes there. So the reality is, for the Christian, the Christian is someone who has their life joined to Jesus. They are now inextricably bound up with him forever. Another wise man described this, this bounding up process as the great exchange. And he said that it's, it's a little bit like marriage. Now, I've been married for, for seven years now to Jess, and on our marri well, marriage day, wedding day even, on our wedding day, we made vows or promises to one another. Among the vows were this, these even. All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. So the reality is for, for the Christian, they've almost come into a marriage relationship with Jesus, and those vows have been given. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it means that I come to Jesus, and I give to him all of my weakness, my brokenness, my worry, my doubt, the punishment that should fall on me for everything that I've done wrong or said wrong or ever thought wrong, all of that stuff, I give over to him. Jesus willingly, happily, takes it on himself. He takes it from me. What does Jesus bring? What does Jesus offer? Well, Jesus simply brings himself, and he is entirely 
good. So on the one hand, what I give is, is, is essentially death and bad stuff. Jesus brings life and everything good. So the Christian is someone who has died to themselves and been raised up to new life with Jesus. But why have I just talked about all of that stuff? Why is it important? Why is it good news for prayer? The Bible records a very interesting incident where God the Father speaks from heaven about his son, Jesus. And he says this, or the passage says this, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So for the Christian, the person who is united with Christ, what that means is that when God the Father sees the Christian, he sees Jesus. Because the Christian is always with Jesus. They are inseparable. So what that means is, well, the Christian has the same access to God the Father as Jesus does. The Christian has the same perfect relationship to God the Father as Jesus does. Everything that Jesus has, he gives over to the Christian. And I believe that this truth is the foundation of our confidence in prayer. I believe that one of the biggest barriers to us praying is oftentimes we lack confidence. We think to ourselves, well, do you know what, I've, I've messed up this week. I've not really been focused on God. I've thought stuff and said stuff and done stuff that I'm not proud about. Mm, I don't feel very comfortable praying. We lack confidence. Or we might think to ourselves, well, look, there's a lot happening in the world. Why, oh why, would God ever be interested in me and my life? No, I, I won't pray. Or it might be in a group context, a group scenario, and I've had this often myself. So you, can, you can be there maybe in a, in a group prayer meeting, and uh, I'll look around and I'll see someone and i think, well, okay, well, that person clearly knows their Bible better than me. That person over there, they're really eloquent with their prayers. That person has been a Christian for longer than I've been alive. Surely their prayers are more legitimate than mine. So I'll just leave them to it. They're more qualified. We often lack confidence in prayer. And I believe that the Lord would want to put confidence back into us. We can be confident not because we are particularly special or particularly wise or particularly clever. We can be confident because we go, we always go with Jesus. And I'd encourage you to have that in your mind whenever you approach prayer. Whenever you come to prayer, I think you do not go alone. You never go alone. You go with Jesus. But you don't only go with Jesus. You also go with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives us access to the Father, that perfect relationship, but we also get the Holy Spirit, who is often described in the Bible as a helper. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we are sons and daughters of God, so he encourages us, but he often also prompts us to pray and often gives us words to pray as well. So if we want to develop in being more confident in prayer, I would say let's have Jesus and the Holy Spirit in mind. Let us not go alone. 
And can I just say that if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're maybe not particularly familiar with the Bible, this ability to pray, to talk to the creator of the universe, the one who has always been around, that is open to you today as well. And as I, as I said before, it's, it's not about jumping through hoops. It's not about you going through particular rituals. It's not about you getting your life together, even. It's about coming to that place where you put your life entirely in Jesus' hands. That offer is open to you today, and we'll talk a bit more about that later. Okay, so we can be confident in prayer. Paul also encourages them to set their hearts and their minds on things above. Now, my wife Jess and I, we've lived uh, over the past seven years in Manchester, in London, and in Bristol. And when we lived in London, we'd from time to time hear about transport strikes, train and tube. Now, for those of you, anyone here who has ever lived in London, or knows anyone who's lived in London, you know that transport strikes tend to be a little bit problematic for Londoners. Oftentimes, for us, we're thinking, well, okay, is it going to go ahead, is it not? Are they, going to, are they going to pull back from it? If it does go ahead, how on earth are we going to get to where we need to get to? A transport strike was actually a significant thing in our household. But, you know, the reality is, uh, it's now 2018, and I don't live in London anymore. I believe that transport strikes still do happen in London, and that's sad for those who live there, but I don't live there anymore. Therefore, news of a transport strike does not trouble me in the way that it did before. My life has moved on, therefore my thoughts and my affections have moved on with it. In fact, now my, my, my thought, my mind, is turned away from transport strikes more towards TV programs like Hey Dougie, Paw Patrol, Biggleton, <laughs> Mr. Tumble, okay? Life is different for me. So my, my, my head and my heart must move on. So if we're to kick on in prayer, yes, we need to be confident, but we also must set our thoughts and our affections rightly on Jesus, because we're now with him. Paul, that early church leader, he, he writes to some Christians and he says this, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are two options open to us in terms of what we do with our thoughts and our affections. We can either let other people decide where we set our affections, or we can decide for ourselves. There's no neutral ground, there's no safe ground, it is one or the other. And Paul's strong encouragement is, do not let the world shape what you think and what you desire. Be renewed by the transform transformation of your mind. Actively set your mind and your heart on Jesus. So just like an athlete, an athlete requires a healthy, balanced diet if they're to be able to perform. The same thing actually applies to the Christian. The Christian, in many senses, is to be fed on Jesus. 
And the reason why I say that is oftentimes I've, I've come to God in prayer and I've come confidently knowing that I'm with Jesus, but the reality is I've run out of steam very quickly. I've run out of things to say. To be honest, I've run out of interest in what he might say to me. I believe that the way to combat that is to be in an everyday process of setting our minds and our affections on Jesus, primarily in the Bible. So it means that we come to the Bible and we ask some questions. We think, well, from what I'm reading, what do I see that God is like? What does he love? What does he hate? What does God say about my money? What does he say about where I live? What does he say about where I work? We come with those questions. We come hungry to learn more about Jesus and his desire. It's like any relationship. Any relationship, you want to know things about the person, but you also want to know what makes them tick as well. So because my life has changed, I'm now entirely united to him, I want to get to know him better, and I do that best by looking at what he says in the Bible. But again, we must ask ourselves the question, why is this good news for prayer? Well, I believe that thinking about Jesus often leads to us talking to Jesus. And an example of that is our good friend Paul, who I've referenced quite a bit already and will continue to. As I said before, Paul would have write letters to some of the new churches that he helped to start. Oftentimes, what he would do is he'd teach them some things about Jesus. He'd encourage them to get to know Jesus better. Well, I say Paul wrote the letters. Paul would often dictate the letters, so he'd have an assistant with him who would write as Paul spoke. Sometimes you'll find in his letters, as Paul's talking about Jesus what he's done, how glorious he is, how we're therefore to respond, he tends to get a little bit excited and he just starts praying. Now the funny thing is, the assistant, the person writing, doesn't just put a pause on there, wait for Paul to finish his prayer and get back to the teaching, but no, we actually get the prayers written down for us in the letters in the Bible. So oftentimes, as we set our minds, our thoughts, our affections on Jesus, the natural response is, well, we want to talk to him. We want to engage with him. We want to get to know him better. And I think that's a really good practice to get into. And actually, I know some people here who will maybe read a verse from the Bible and just pray in response to that. There might be one thing that they see or learn from that, and they just they, they pray that out to God. Then they move on to the next verse and do the same again. I think that's a really helpful habit. It will really feed us in our prayer lives. And in fact, another way that we can be fed in our prayer lives is by actually praying some of the prayers in the Bible. I mentioned before that occasionally, oft, not occasionally, oftentimes I run out of steam in prayer. Regularly I run out of steam. Another thing that I struggle with is putting things into words. So there might be something in my heart, something that I want to express to God, or something that I'm troubled by, or something that I'm excited about. But oftentimes I don't quite have the words for it, so I don't pray. The encouraging thing is that if you look at the Bible, particularly the book of Psalms, which is a book of prayers in the Bible, you will find that people have 
put those thoughts to words. And oftentimes, as you, as you go through the Psalms, as you read them, as you pray them, you think, do you know what? I couldn't have put it better than that myself. And you just amen what is said. And can I just say, that is an entirely legitimate thing to do. We can often feel that pre- in order for it to be proper prayer, it has to be spontaneous. And we, we just say stuff that comes into our minds. That is entirely legitimate and a really healthy way to move forward, I believe. And in fact, we're actually going to do a little bit of that now. Can I just say, if you're, if you're not much of a prayer, please do not feel under any compulsion to do anything that you're not comfortable with. But if you are here and you are a prayer, you're familiar with prayer, what we're actually going to do is pray together one of the prayers of the Bible. And it is, in fact, the prayer that Jesus taught his closest followers to pray. So if you're happy with this and comfortable with this, I'm going to ask you just to stand up. And uh, Lizzie is going to pop that prayer onto the screen for us. Okay, so it's known as the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to say that all together, which might be interesting but we'll give it a go, nonetheless. Okay, three, two, one, go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Okay, please do take a seat. Okay, so we can be confident in our prayer because we go with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. We can be full in our prayer because we're setting our hearts and our minds on Jesus. Thirdly, we can persevere in prayer because we have the sure hope that he will appear again and we will appear with him in glory. You know, as, a, as an athletics coach, I'm often surprised by some of the things that I see on the training track. I often see young athletes who are clearly working very hard, Looks like the eyes are about to pop out, legs are about to drop off, one lung's about to fall out. And I think to myself, have I maybe pushed him just a little bit too hard? Maybe I should have reined it in. But an interesting thing often happens as an athlete comes round the track and gets into the home straight. As they get into the home straight, in sight of the end, the finish, the goal, those same athletes who clearly looked like they were on, on the verge of collapsing all of a sudden, there's new life that comes. Okay, so chest comes up, head comes up, running technique is lovely and smooth, the pace is picking up, and they run all the way through the line. I've seen it time and time and time again. And you know, for the Christian, for the church, that goal is the appearing of Jesus Christ himself again. That's what we look to, that's what we're about. The Bible even tells us that creation itself, so the stuff of the cosmos, of the universe, 
in a similar sense, cries out for the return of the king. It uses the, 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 the terminology, actually, of, of pregnancy, almost being in the pains of childbirth. Okay? So creation itself is eagerly waiting for Jesus to return. The Christian is eagerly waiting for Jesus to return. And I believe that it is our expectation of his return that stokes the fires of our prayers and helps us to keep going again and again and again and again. And look, at this point, I'll put up my hand and say, there are some things that I prayed for years ago that I got a bit disappointed about. I thought, I'm just going to stop praying about it. I'm going I'm to move on. Clearly, nothing's happening here. And then, funny enough, well, I actually end up coming back to it again. Then I get a bit discouraged and, and forget about it. Then I come back to it again. Well, what's made that change? Well, the change for me has been coming to a place where I'm focused on the return of Jesus. And the reason why I say that is that if we as a church are truly thinking about his return in the future, that will transform what we think and say and do right now. Just like for uh, university students or school kids, the reality of impending, well, coursework is going now from GCSEs, but impending exam, it makes a difference. I know that an exam is coming. I want to get myself prepared. I want to be ready for it. In a similar sense, the Christian knows that Jesus is returning, and therefore the Christian, A, is excited, because we want to see him, but B, it's a, it's, it's a sober excitement. Because the reality is that I know that when Jesus returns, I will have to give accounts. I'll have to explain how I've used my life. So yes, I'm excited, but there's also part of me that thinks, I want to be ready for it, okay? I want him to say to me on that day, well done, good and faithful servants. And because I know that day is coming, I'm not just willing to wait, I want to get to know him now. Because I know the day is coming when I'll see him face to face, when I'll be utterly changed. Do you know what? I want to move in that direction now. I know that there are things in me, in my heart, and in my life that are far from perfect. And I can't change them by myself. Therefore, I go to him and I pray. I pray that I might get to know him better I pray that I might be changed. I might live a life that is pleasing and glorifying and honoring to him. But it's not just about me. When I think about the return of Jesus, I reflect on the community in which I live. I reflect on a city in which we all live, the nation and the world. And I think, do you know what? Things aren't quite the way that Jesus would have them. Not everything that happens in our world is pleasing to him. And that grieves me. That greatly grieves me. And I want to see change there. I want to see transformation there. I want to do something about it. But the reality is, I'm just one person. And I'm messed up. And I'm broken. So what do I do? I pray. I pray and I ask God. Because God is able to do immeasurably more than all I could ever think or hope or imagine. I'm a man, I'm finite, I'm small, I'm limited. He is not limited. 
So therefore, I go to him in prayer. I pray for the road that I live in. I pray for my community. I pray for this city. I pray for this world. And I go back time and time and time again because he can do so much more than I can do. And you know what I said at the start that the foundation for prayer is our confidence? I think the, the, maybe the roof of prayer is that reality that we are different to God. There's a distinction there. I.e., we are weak. We're limited in what we can do, and God isn't. And I think that is what will keep us going back time and time and time again in prayer. Rather than trying to fix situations in our own hearts and lives, the lives of others, and in the world. So we need to live with that reality. The reality that we can come confidently in prayer, we can come with a full heart, but also the reality that he's coming back one day. And it will be a glorious day. It will be a joyful and a glorious day and something to look forward to, absolutely. But that day, glorious as it is, should give us a desire to see some of that, at least, some of that now. I'm not willing to wait, okay? And um, look, as, we, as we go through, there'll be, um, there'll be more time to pray in other parts of the service, but what we're going to do is I'm going to ask the, the musicians to, to come back up for us, the musicians who are out there in various places at the moment. Please do come back up. And just to close off, what we're going to do is what I am going to pray for us to close, and then if the musicians could just uh, play quietly, just for a few moments, maybe a minute or two, I'd encourage you to use that time just to, just to reflect. Reflect on the return of Jesus. Reflect on maybe what implications that has for you personally, for Bristol, for the UK, for the world. And some of you, that reflection might turn to, to prayer. For some of you, you might just remain in that place of reflection. But I think it's important that we just take that time because even in that time, there might be things that God would want to say to you about your role or what you're to do in that. So I'll pray. The musicians will um, play quietly. And then after a few moments, they will kick on with another song. Okay, so let's pray together. This is actually a set prayer. This is uh, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look to your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.